You're listening to Green Biz Radio, the voice of GreenBiz.com, bringing you news and analysis on business, the environment, and the bottom line. For Green Biz Radio, I'm Matthew Wieland. What do Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, Google, and Burt's Bees have in common? They're all exceptionally good at letting their customers know how green they are, according to a new report from GreenBiz.com. In the report, titled The Corporate Reality of Consumer Perceptions, Amy Hebert and Wendy Cobreda discussed the results of their EarthSense EcoInsight survey, which asked more than 30,000 respondents about how green they believe some companies to be. I spoke with Wendy and Amy recently about what these companies are doing right, how green communication strategies differ between large and small businesses, and how to avoid the pitfalls of greenwashing. Amy and Wendy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. I think the best place to start would just be to get some background on the research itself. Will you tell me a little bit about how the EarthSense Eco Insight Survey came about? Sure, Matt. Um, Amy and I uh, basically both have run our own consulting companies uh, working on custom research um, as well as mapping and modeling and uh, used syndicated research as well. And and the two of us decided um, about two years ago now that we wanted to form a company together. And when we, when we looked at the space of what research companies actually do, we noticed that there was a, a, a fairly big hole when it came to the environment and, and marketing um, green products and services. And so we decided that we'd form a company that was um, somewhat different than what was out there. We, we uh, decided to combine the practices of the best practices of custom research, syndicated research, um, uh, target marketing, as well as mapping. And so the Eco Insight Survey was, was deliberately designed to have a very large sample size in order to make it very actionable on the end. So just out the gate, um, we knew that we had to have a, 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 a very highly representable sample of U.S. adults that could uh, give us data that could drive down to a, a very local level. I'd add two things to that, Matt. Um, one is that when you mentioned it, the, the word actionability for us is huge. It's, it's, we don't um, get into research for this simple uh, out of curiosity to find answers to questions. It's really to be able to help our clients take action with the results. It's one of the biggest gaps in a lot of research. It's just that it's often very interesting, very informative, but too high level to take action from a marketing perspective. So actionability of the information was huge. The other aspect of it is when we determined that we wanted to work together uh, about two years ago, the topic that we, was paramount um, that we wanted to tackle and really apply so that action could be taken was the topic of the environment. And so we had a kind of a perfect storm of wanting to work together, having an idea about doing research differently, making it actionable on a topic that turned out to be incredibly timely in hindsight. Absolutely. I mean, this is, you know, this is top of mind stuff for both companies and shoppers alike. Give me a rundown of, of what you ask shoppers. Let me start, just give you a quick overview of the survey itself, because the, the report that we're talking about today, the corporate reality of consumer perceptions, really only comes from one small module in the overall instrument itself. Our, our broader focus is really to delve into and understand consumers' attitudes and how they do or do not drive behaviors, particularly around purchasing and the perceptions of companies. And we include a lot of other information as well, but it's been very, it's very focused on that gap between attitude and behavior that's been so well documented and something somewhat perplexing as a result. 
within that, part of our theory was that understanding how consumers perceive the companies from which they shop is going to be a, a, a portion of their decision process and who they decide to be uh, to, to buy from. And so what we're doing right now is we're looking at that particular section where we looked at over 350 companies and asked consumers which ones they were familiar with and then of the ones they were familiar with, how they viewed them from sustainability and product impact perspective along with investment attractiveness and, and advocacy or likelihood to recommend. So our, our point of view here is starting with that we wanted to understand um, how consumers look at these companies at these companies to get an understanding of really who who really is ranking the top across a series of of, of, of industries. And I guess you know, just for from a statistic a statistic standpoint, how many how big was your sample size? The survey itself is huge. It's thirty thousand um, each wave, and starting this year in two thousand and nine, we'll be doing it twice a year and combining the waves um, when we do. So uh, the overall survey is thirty thousand. Because the company ratings module, which is I think primarily what you want to talk about today, but we're mm-hmm. uh, happy to talk about other things as well. But the company rating module with 350 companies, we don't have every respondent um, rate every company. That would be just uh, terribly uh, burdensome and fatiguing. What we do instead is randomly assign uh, them to 20 different companies, which means that we have an average sample size that we ask uh, of about 2,000 per company. And then when they have to be familiar with the company to do the actual rating. So depending on the level of familiarity, the sample size uh, ranges anywhere between 200 and 2,000 typically. Okay. Uh, but the, the, many of these are big, well-named, uh, well-known excuse me, companies, and so the sample sizes tend to be fairly large. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would add to it, our focus was not on brands. It was rather on companies. So companies with multiple brands, we, we, we had consumers looking at them at the company as a whole as opposed to the individual component brands, which is an important distinction, particularly around sustainability, because it's really a company-wide initiative uh, typically, and so we're asking it about the company. Right. Okay. Good. That makes sense. Um, and then I was thinking about something as you were talking. Um, would you both, just for the ease of our transcriptionist, would you both just um, say who's speaking before you jump in, just because I'm keeping notes on, on who's answering what, but it'll be easier for her if... Uh, oh, sure. If yeah. Um, okay, great. So That was Amy. <laughs> <laughs> right. I got that. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so let's, let's talk about, about the results. Um, who made the top of the list of your survey? Um, did you see any surprises? I guess let's start. Let's start at the top. Who were the the top companies from uh, from a consumer standpoint? Well, first I want to say how do we des- define top? Because um, we have eleven different industries that we tackled, uh, starting with alcoholic beverages, going through to specialty retail. And to be qualified to be even included, it had to be a company that sold um, uh, products to consumers. Uh, It was not not strictly a B2B company, in other words. So first, uh, a wide range of industries, uh, as I say, over 350 uh, companies within those. So when we define top, we really define it in a couple of different ways. One, across that range of of, of consumer industries and companies, were they at the top of one of our uh, metric lists? So were they the, one of the top ten in terms of the sustainability of their practices? Again, as consumers see that. Were they in the top ten of the uh, the impact of products on the environment? Were they in the top ten for investment and, and or for advocacy? So first, were they among the top ten across industry? 
Second, though, we also look within industry, knowing that, you know, you, you can have what we sometimes call the queen of the pigs phenomenon, not that you necessarily want to give that name to anybody, but you could have an industry that is typically not well-regarded with respect to environmental impact, but you can have companies within that industry that are considered industry leaders for their industry sector. So the two criteria combined is what created what we call the Earth Sense 35, the companies that were either top across consumer companies or top within their industries. And so when you ask about were there any surprises, um, you can say that, for example, um, a, a Benjamin Moore is a good example. Benjamin Moore's uh, industry, you know, paint industry, is, is, is challenged environmentally. But Benjamin Moore, within the players within that industry, is regarded as one of the leaders. Yeah, absolutely. When I looked over that list of, of companies, that was one that jumped out at me as, as not one that I'd heard a lot about. And then doing some research, obviously, they do have some environmental uh, initiatives, but, you know, compared to some of the other companies on your list, like Burt's Bees or, you know, Adwala or, or Whole Foods, for instance, uh, you know, there's a huge distinction between the level of green for some of those companies. Absolutely. One of the things that we think uh, makes uh, the research so intriguing and interesting is that certainly companies want to do the right thing. Everyone is, whether you're mandated through um, through government regulations to, to make some changes uh, to uh, basically have less impact on the environment or whether you're motivated for other reasons, you still have the responsibility to your shareholders in order to basically um, improve the bottom line. And so our survey really takes into account both the, the corporate reputation overall, the individual products that those companies uh, are best represented to the, to the consumer, um, as well as the concept that this company has to be doing not only the right thing, but they have to be good at it. They have to make money. Would I invest in it? And then finally, the idea of recommending a product. So what's surprising is is looking at the interaction of those four different variables across all the different categories. And certain industries, for example, might, might be seen as, as leaders because they're investing so much money in R&D and new technologies. However, at the end of the day, um, Products, for example, like gasoline, uh, oil—it's just—it's not eco-friendly. However, the company itself might have a higher rating. And were there any companies or any one company that sort of maxed out at the top of of all four of those categories you just mentioned? Yeah, actually, there were two: um, Whole Foods and Trader Joe's. Two same industry sector, two rather different um, uh, uh, strategies, but. Um, Consumers look at those, at both of those companies as being uh, very high with respect to their sustainability practices, the impact of their products, the investment attractiveness, and, and the extent to which that they would be willing to advocate or, or willing to uh, recommend those companies. As compared to that, say, a Green Mountain Coffee, for example, Green Mountain, much smaller, single, you know, single uh, product line, uh, scored very high on company or sense, um, recognized for its uh, sustainability of its practices. And, I mean, well, Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, even Green Mountain Coffee are all in sort of the same category. Um, looking at the list of, of the sort of the standout top nine, you've got those companies, but then also Google and Yahoo. And those are companies that are just, you know, very differently involved with the environment, differently involved with their customers. Is there any sort of connecting thread between these nine companies that made the top of the list? We basically, because the top 35 are 
it, it, they're all within their own sectors. You can't draw a, a correlation directly between, say, a Google and a Whole Foods, because you're right, they do interact differently. But I, I do believe that the message gets out to consumers that this company cares right. in some way, shape, or form. Sure. And let, let's, let's go into that a little bit. I think that this, the messaging is the key because, obviously, whenever you talk about green marketing or, or green brands, you start to bump up against the idea of greenwashing. The question that arose for me from reading the report is that you write that if companies don't communicate their sustainability initiatives, then their efforts won't be fully realized. But then at the same time, I think one one issue that we hear regularly from companies is that if they start talking about what they're doing, then it also opens the door to questions about what is what is left to be done, that yes, they've incorporated 10% organic cotton, but what about the remaining 90%? So how do companies negotiate that? Very, very carefully. <laughs> uh, I don't mean to be facetious, man. I think it's a great question. And Wendy and I were just talking about it a little bit earlier, and I think she's got a point of view as well. I think our message here is that I think greenwashing has scared a lot of people, Being a, a, worrying about communicating what you're doing with the idea that, that it may, you know, uh, might lash back at you is making a lot of people, a lot of companies, hesitant to really talk about what they're doing, keeping their light under a bushel, if you will. And uh, I, I think our point of view is that you know, that's all well and good um, and understandable, and sometimes you know, consumer advocates can, can get a, a, a pretty aggressive on that, as well they should. But our issue is, is that if you're doing something and you're doing it well and you're not getting any credit for it, that that's kind of a shame. If you're doing something and if you're in this area of sustainability and consumers don't know about it, you're not going to benefit from the marketplace being aware of the fact that you're taking some powerful and strong and impactful action. Now, it may come a question of timing. I mean, I think one of the comments we made in the report is, that, is it okay to do stuff and not say? Absolutely, of course it is. If you want, though, to get an advantage for your company, and as you, as you should, when you're ready to talk about it and do it in a transparent way, um, you should be out there doing that. The more we can learn about what's succeeding, the more that we can know that the companies are taking these steps uh, because consumers don't believe they are. It's just huge how much they don't know the, cons- the companies are really doing. So uh, that's our real point. Yeah, and uh, Wendy, jumping in here, Matt, we've uh, researched the, the concept of locus of control, which is something I'm, I'm sure you've heard of, the whole concept of whether or not you can affect uh, the universe around you. And when we ask consumers um, who they think should take responsibility for the environment, uh, many many people are are pointing a finger at the government. A lot of others point fingers to the manufacturers, and, and everybody would like to do something themselves, but how much control do they have over the big picture if the other larger organizations don't participate? And so the concept here of being a corporation, doing something good and not saying something, you're not moving the needle. It, by, by being quiet, you, you basically aren't taking a stand. And uh, Joel likes to say, we, we've heard him speak several times where he'll say, uh, you know, if a cannibal eats with a, a fork and knife, is that enough? <laughs> <laughs> and and we actually believe that that concept applies here to corporations. I mean, how good is enough? How green do you have to be to be considered environmentally a sustainable company? I think nobody can claim to be 100% 
uh, perfect. So every small step that we take encourages, uh, on a personal level, our peers to take steps, and it encourages the industries themselves to take steps. So we believe that it's important to get a message out, no matter how small it is and no matter how um, how much effort you basically, uh, I shouldn't say how much effort, no matter no matter how complete your, your uh, transformation to, to green may be. Mm-hmm. Now, if this is Amy again, I want to reinforce what Wendy just said, because you had asked earlier, you know, were there any surprises um, in our research? Well, one of the surprises for us, I mean, we double-checked the data three times, because we thought, can this really be true? When we asked, one of the questions we asked is, are manufacturers taking enough responsibility for the effect on the environment? Knowing that a fair amount is going on, we were shocked to find that less than 10% of the people feel that that's the case. Now, are manufacturers doing everything they can? Of course not. But a lot of them are getting on board with their sustainability strategy, articulating for themselves what they need to be doing. And yet consumers are, in many cases, completely unaware of what they're really doing. And so I think our opportunity here is, is to get that message out more. Things can be done. Things are being done. At the end of the day, that that that, that, it, that it's really a journey. Um, it's not a destination, and you know that kind of that tired phrase. But it's it's the truth. That's why the notion of transparency is huge, because uh, you you can brag about something you're not doing, or you can clarify and articulate what you are doing. And this, those are two very very different things. The first one is more of a greenwashing. The second more is more transparency about what you're trying to do and trying to accomplish and how you're going to get there. People often ask us, why are we in this business? Why are we passionate about the environment? And in other words, you know, we've also heard people say, why aren't we sitting in trees or hugging trees? We, we don't claim to be tree huggers, and we think the majority of Americans are not, quote-unquote, tree huggers. We, we think that everybody has a little green in them and that people express their concern for the environment in many different ways. And we believe that uh, that basically in order to communicate um, as, as a corporation out to the, your major stakeholders, which are consumers, you have to get out there, flaws and all. You have to say that you're, you're, you're trying. Um, nobody's perfect. <laughs> nobody's going to be able to turn everything over on a dime, but, but everybody can take small steps. And um, when you see other people take small steps or other corporations, again, uh, you, you go from being a, a, a small idea to a trend to, to an accepted uh, practice. And so what we hope happens is as more and more companies get out there and do make their, um, their statements of what they're doing to, to try to make a difference while, of course, pleasing their shareholders and, and keeping their consumers happy, um, over time, uh, practices that are, not, that are not good for the earth will go away. And it will just be simply green won't be, green will be colorless. That's what should happen. And I think that's a huge point that both of you just made in, in slightly different ways, which is the idea of of honesty or transparency in your communications around your green strategies. Is is that what's the key to avoiding charges of greenwash? If you're not coming out and saying, this is a green product, but you're saying, we're working on making this greener and here's how we're doing it. Yes, a resounding yes. Let, let's talk a little bit about the differences in how companies of different sizes or different scope of, of activity are addressing these. I know that, that you talk about in the report that there are different methods that will work for a small company that has a very limited product line versus an enormous company like Walmart. Um, tell me a little bit about, about the differences between those or different strategies that they're using. 
one core thing I would say is starting from if you have a single uh, product line, and that product line, uh, whether it's yogurt or some other variation of that, if you've got a single product line, you, you can align your business strategy from top to bottom, assuming you choose to, um, in a way that when you have a diverse portfolio, it can be more challenging. You know, companies, uh, and I, I mean, I think I have a lot of admiration, for example, for what Clorox is doing with Greenworks. Uh, it, there's a lot of bleach among consumers, fairly or unfairly, that bleach by its nature is unhealthy for the environment. Now, I'm not going to get into that debate today, but it, Clorox had a real challenge because of the type and the nature of its portfolio. So when it came out with Greenworks, it really concentrated its efforts almost as if it was a, you know, a standalone uh, business unit. And you see, you can align across that product portfolio from your strategy down to the, the impact of the product that you're creating. I think that's more challenging for a company the size and breadth and diversity of a Clorox as it is compared to, say, a Stonyfield farm. Not taking anything away from Stonyfield. They're a fabulous company and very, very well regarded with, by the way, really yummy yogurt. Um, but the, uh, the, 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 the challenge that, say, a Clorox is going to have or, again, a broadly uh, diverse uh, company with a variety of different products um, it's going to be different from where you can really align your your efforts around a single a single product in particular. I'd agree. I'd also say the, the smaller companies are, or it's the interaction really with a com- with a company that can make all the difference in the world to a consumer. So a Trader Joe's or a Whole Foods, where you have a, a regular ongoing relationship, you're you're experiencing the store, the brand. You have many different touch points with that company compared to somebody who is a, a company that's selling a service or a product. Um, you have fewer touch points with that with that consumer, so you may not you may have to rely more on packaging and education uh, when you're selling a product that's that's basically among many other products in a in a location. So those those companies who are the retailers have a great opportunity to communicate directly to be able to um, educate consumers along the way. And there's got to be a a, a, part, a true partnership between the the companies that are manufacturing products and and the actual retailers in order to get the message out to help consumers choose uh, between products. Thinking about the different touch points that that shoppers have or that that people just have with these brands, Google and Yahoo both ranked very high across, across the board. And, I mean, they're both virtual brands. What's your sense of how consumers perceive their greenness? Matt, I think you're, you're, you use the perfect word there, the word touch. I think that you know, consumers, when it does come down, they're consuming something, they're touching something, that they better understand something that they can look at, see, feel, hold in their hand. So uh, consumer packaged goods are, are easier for them to evaluate because they're very concrete. I think the reality is that, that, that because um, Internet companies like a Google, for example, are in many ways they're, they're invisible, they're on, your, they're on your monitor. There's not a, a lot of, of awareness among consumers, for example, about the vast amount of power that is consumed by uh, companies of that magnitude uh, with uh, the servers that, they're, uh, that are having an enormous impact in terms of the energy consumption. Um, now, whether or not, that, that I don't think that's as visible to consumers, and so they think it's almost like, hey, it must be in, it's invisible, and therefore it doesn't have that kind of impact. So I think the Internet companies get a little bit of a leg up from that perspective because their product is perceived fairly or unfairly 
to have less impact. I think that as more transparency, you're going to want to see that, that behind the scenes, the back office, the server farm, et cetera, um, has that because I think that as increasing awareness comes, that that's really where much of the impact is coming from, that the kind of halo that's on the Internet companies are probably getting may start to uh, evaporate a bit. Well, I'd have to add, too, though, they, they have a, a special place for consumers. I mean, never before have we had such an opportunity to be activists like we do today. If you are not happy about a brand or if, if, uh, if, if there's a story that goes out about uh, some type of contamination of, of, a, of a product, it takes only moments on the Internet. It takes moments on Google or Yahoo to, to get the story. And because these uh, companies enable us to basically voice our opinions, in, in some ways they're helping us become more green because they're helping, ed- we, we help educate each other, and we can only do it through those tools. So um, they become part of your lifestyle, and so they probably get some of these green ratings. It's, it's almost like a halo effect. I, w- I was just going to ask, is there some halo effect that they get for enabling us to take part in this sort of in this green movement online and then in real life as well i i certainly think it's there it's worth exploring um at the end of the day you know i think what we've learned from our research is that it's it's not about the world as much as it's about me and the more you can bring uh convenience health economy to the end consumer, it's, it's, uh, it's common sense. The more they're going to want to pick up on your product. And if you have a great message and you're doing something good for the environment, then that's good, too. It's almost like the, the, the cream on the top of the coffee. Great. And last but certainly not least, the economic situation is the big concern for everyone. How is the economy affecting this? One thing we do know is, and, and this was a, a little bit of a surprise to me, maybe not to everyone, but it was to me, is that when we ask um, consumers' willingness to pay a price premium for green, there's a lot of statistics out there that say 30% of consumers will pay a price premium for green. Well, what's that really mean? It turns out two, it means two very different things. One is it really depends enormously on the product itself. Um, they're, they're, the willingness to pay a premium for some products is absolutely there. Um, and the willingness to pay a premium for some others is, is tepid at best. And so it's important to understand what's the product first that you want to be able to, to pay a premium for. The products that are, for which consumers are willing to pay a premium, the second aspect of that is who's willing to pay the premium and how, to what extent is that dependent on your economic situation, you, said another way, you know, your income or whatever. So knowing that about your product um, and knowing about that about your consumers is hugely important uh, for understanding which products are going to be less affected um, by the economic downturn than others. I can't imagine if there's any products that are unaffected. There's probably a short handful. But, um, so understanding that some products have more latitude to play in that space. Now, going forward, um, as we mentioned earlier, our next wave of the next 30,000 server responses are going to essentially come post-economic meltdown. Um, And we're putting in place a a variety of things to uh, to really evaluate what is the relationship between uh, uh, being uh, being an eco-conscious buyer, if you will, and your financial wherewithal. One other thing I would say, and I think Wendy and I share this belief, is that, again, being very simple, if the best green products, or if, or if let me just say, if green products 
were essentially the same quality and the same price as quote conventional products, I don't think there'd be any uh, any issue whatsoever that those would be the ones that would be snapped up and adopted readily. Um, and we that's that's just simple logic and that's simple con, you know consumerism 101. I think our big opportunity here is as as companies figure out how to manufacture these products um, and meet that kind of standard and to meet a green standard, however that might be defined, and to do it in a cost-efficient way um, and a quality way. That's when, as Wendy said, it's a component, of a standard expected part of, of the product. We're not there yet. Scalability is not there, and as long as that price premium is a barrier, it's going to prevent the broader adoption. But what we're excited about is, is that we really see that the growing sensitivity, again, attitude you know, going before behavior, as we found in our study and others, is that people, first they have to get, get the idea. They've got it. Now they've got to be able to get it, meaning afford it and be able to find it. And that, I think, is a big challenge for companies that I would say, you know, make it affordable, make it a, a good quality, and the consumers will come. Oh, and the education purpose. That's the other one thing that is missing, one of the biggest things that's missing. It just, consumers want to do the right thing. They want to buy, and I'm going to say right thing for them, um, with right in quotes, because everybody's got different motivations depending on their life stage and, and their economic status. But becoming educated, consumers want to make the right choice for them, and, and if you are going to put something out there, you need to explain why it's, why it's better. Um, I, we find, I think, looking across 75 different product categories, that that the biggest, um, I should say, the most the most common response to whether or not you're buying green or not is, I don't know. I'd like to know, but I really don't know what makes this product green. Is the product green because because it's uh, you know from a local area? Is it because we've worked with fair trade you know labor? Is it because it's uh, made of organic materials? A lot of people don't really know, and as, as we all know, they're gosh so many different symbols and, and um, claims by different products. It's confusing. I, the best thing the, the, uh, that we can do as a, as a community is to create some standards that we can all measure ourselves against and, and uh, standards that we can work towards um, because that's, that's actually, I think, one of the things that's holding us all up. Great. And, I mean, we could talk about the education element and deciding what exactly is green for hours and hours. But I think yeah. <laughs> at, at this point, I think we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, Wendy and Amy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. I uh, look forward to uh, talking with you again when the next report comes out. Terrific, Mac. Thanks. Thanks. You've been listening to Green Biz Radio. For the latest daily news on business, the environment, and the bottom line, and to sign up for our free newsletters, visit greenbiz.com. <laughs>